Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unlocked, the podcast that inspires you to create a successful, happy, and positive life and to live the best version of you. Hosted by me, Ricky Locke, professional magician, speaker, trainer, and man of mystery. As this podcast is designed to create success and live a happy and positive life, don't forget you can head to the show notes and you can download some free ebooks on 10 tips to improve your productivity and how to create awesome videos with a smartphone. Just head to the show notes of this episode and download your free resources today. Before I kick off this episode, I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody that came along to my free webinar, How to Improve Your Confidence in Speaking and Showing Up on Camera last week. It was a really great session and I appreciate everyone that took the time out of the day to attend. Great to see you all and good luck with all of your confidence on being on camera. Now this week, we are taking a deep dive into food and why we should all be learning how to eat and not how to diet. Overeating, yo-yo dieting and binging, these are just some of the things that my guest this week has overcame over the past four years and now she wants to help you build a great relationship with food and take back control of your life. I learned so much in this episode about my own eating habits and I think you're going to love this episode with Laurie Weber of the Mindful Eating Clinic. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review. It gets this podcast shared to so many more people in the world. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with Laurie Weaver of the Mindful Eating Clinic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unlocked. Today, I have the wonderful Laurie Weaver, owner of the Mindful Eating Clinic. Hi, Laurie. How are you? I am really well, Ricky. Thank you so much for inviting me to come on. It is a pleasure to have you on here. Thank you, and uh, welcome to the show. Are you well? Are you keeping safe? Are you having a good week so far? Yes, very well. Um, yes, I've managed to avoid the virus. A couple of my, my family members didn't, but for some reason I managed to, or at least my bursting immune system didn't get troubled by it. Thank, <laughs> thank heaven. So yes, thank good. you. I am very well. Thank oh, you. Oh, good, good. Well, credit where credit's due, I have to shout out, as I always do in every single episode, uh, Alan and Emily, because um, I met you through the Yellow Tuxedo and knew of you last year, saw some work, um, obviously working with Chris Mooney, and then obviously we, we actually got a proper chance to meet in one of the sessions in January. And I thought, I need to get in touch with this lady. So yeah, welcome to the show. Um, and uh, I guess for all of the listeners, who are you, Laurie? And what do you do? Oh, oh, who am I? Yes. Well, I am a nutrition and healthy weight management coach. So by healthy, I mean that um, I focus on a nutritious, non-diet approach to helping people manage their weight, manage their eating. And that's through behavior change, coaching and building nutritional awareness to actually quite, um, quite comfortably tie in with your unlock theme to actually unlock them from things like yo-yo dieting, things like overeating, things like fear of food, for them to be able to live a happy life with food. And that's one of one of the sentences that I use a lot because being around food, eating should be a really happy experience, but for lots of people, it isn't. And so that's basically what I spend most of my time doing, trying to help people find that happier, enriching, healthy relationship with food. That's a wonderful thing. Yeah. And I guess before we kind of dive into this a little bit further, how did you get started into this? Was this something that you always wanted to do? Was it on your mind? How did you get into this? <laughs> uh, no, it wasn't something that I <laughs> wanted to do uh, at all. And it happened completely by, by accident as a result of my personal 
experience with eating and with food. Shall I tell your listeners a yeah, little bit about, about that? Yeah. So from the age of 16, I developed an unhealthy relationship with food, which for me looked like binging. So eating large quantities of food in response to how I was feeling. So something happened when I was a teenager, which I think was probably the spark. I think there was that. And I think that I was I was just a teenager that always felt a little bit uncomfortable in her skin in everyday life. In fact, the only place where I felt really comfortable was when I was prancing around on the amateur stage being <laughs> someone else. Um, yeah. But but actually in my real life, I just I just didn't quite seem to fit with the most popular girls or the prettiest girls or I don't know, the sort of the group of people that were, I suppose at that time, I sort of aspire to be part of anyway. And so I think that that was a catalyst to to start this relationship with food, which, as I said, was binging, yo-yo dieting. So eating quite a large quantity of food over a period of days or even weeks, and then going on quite a restrictive diet. And and I remember throughout the course of my life, perhaps doing some tidying up at home and opening drawers and things and finding notebook upon notebook upon notebook that would have Monday, right, I'm starting today, and would have my weight and would have a list of the things that I was going to eat. And it was always quite restrictive and always quite harsh on myself because I think at the time, you know, during that period in my life, I thought that that was the way to fix it. Mm. You know, that this that this disordered eating was quite extreme at its worst and therefore that the remedy had to be extreme. And so it was quite a roller coaster, you know, of of um, eating. And, you know, sometimes I wasn't binging. Sometimes I was just obsessed by what I was eating and whether I should be eating it and guilt and foods that were good and foods that were bad. And if I had a biscuit, would I weigh two pounds more the following day? <laughs> you know, having a piece of cake and then running upstairs and getting on the scales and all of this sort of behavior, which I now realize is very common. Mm. And I thought at the time I was, I was just odd and it felt very shameful and it felt really difficult. Um, so I, I proceeded to sort of live that way. And I got to the point actually where I just managed it and, and I lived. And it was just something that went on in the background and I had you know, relationships and I got married and I had children and I had a successful career and I was on and off the stage, you know, singing and acting and and, and to anyone on the outside, I was absolutely fine. And because because the overeating was always balanced with quite quite extreme dieting, I never really put on a huge amount of weight, probably fluctuated up to about a stone and a half, I would say. So that was what my life was like. And and I think I got into my sort of 40s and I thought, it's okay. I can deal with this. I can manage this. I know what this looks like. I'm perfectly functioning. And even when I did binge, I just sort of went on a diet. And that was just how I thought I was destined to live. Yeah. And then 
you asked about the catalyst and the catalyst was the number. So I will quite happily share with people. I'm now, well, in fact, I'm 59 in a few weeks time. But so I got to 56 and I realized that I had been doing this for 40 years. Yeah. And that was quite a wake up moment. And the messages that I'd been giving myself across that period, things like you're an intelligent woman, what on earth are you doing? Hadn't resonated sufficiently. Or I think I hadn't, I didn't really seek out the tools properly to be able to do anything about it. But my my working life was as a corporate trainer and coach. And I had studied NLP and I'd studied Jungian psychology and that kind of thing. And I thought, right, unless you fix this now, you are going to be living like this for the rest of your life. And I know that it was damaging, particularly psychologically to me. And it was something that I was carrying on my own. It was a secret, not even my closest friends knew and my husband had only known relatively recently and that was quite a burden actually to not be able to really express it and talk about it and so what I did was I applied some of my coaching techniques to myself and I treated myself as a third person if that's, <laughs> that doesn't sound too sort of odd and I did a lot of reading about the diet mentality and about mindful and about intuitive eating. And that was a very, very big light bulb moment. And I realized mm -hmm. that I'd been trying to sort it out in completely the wrong way. And I'd been treating the symptoms with a diet rather than trying to get to the bottom of it. So I did some very serious work on myself and I fixed it. And the freedom and the liberation and the emotional release, I cannot express it without bursting into tears even now, you know. So it's yeah. just incredible. And, uh, and so that is inside of me so, so powerfully that says there are people out there that are living in this way. And particularly, well, actually, it doesn't matter what age they are, but particularly if they are young, just started working with someone who's 24, and I just think, gosh, if I can give you that moment that I had at 56, at 24 or 26 or 36 or 46, I'm still saving you from living with that disordered eating for part or all or most of your, of your life. So yeah. I, I did some training. So I got diplomas in nutrition and weight management, in eating psychology and in behavior change, which added to some of the tools that I already had as part of my corporate coaching career, so that I was armed with some, some real, I suppose, credibility, if you like, um, or at least sufficient knowledge that I could really have a whole toolbox of things to help people to be able to have this food freedom that I now experience. Yeah. Wow. What a wonderful story. Thank you for sharing. Yeah. Oh, you're very, very welcome. There's so many things in there to, to think about. And I've just been scribbling down a whole list of different notes that I hadn't pre-sent to you there. But the, the biggest thing there was about that freedom and release. But I guess, why do you think it took 40 years for that to happen? I think because 
um, I'm, I think I have the ability to generally in my life be quite optimistic and to live in the present. And I think that all the time the other parts of my life were working, I was able to push it to one side. And, you know, I wasn't binging all of the time. I, I could have periods of a few months when everything was absolutely fine. And I could stay on a diet plan for a few months and everything was fine. So, so I think, and, and, you know, I think, I think I just learned to accept that that was, that was part of my makeup. Yeah. And I think that that happens with a lot of people. And I think it's not just about around, around eating. I think people sort of settle Mm. for how they are living without maybe being, I don't know, confident enough or conscious enough to decide to make changes. You know, they sort of think that totally, yeah. that's their lot, really. And so, and I think because the other parts of my life were really, really positive, you know, my job went well, marriage was good, my kids are great, you know, and my performing, all that was fine. So in the scheme of things, yes, it was, it was a negative, but maybe it wasn't enough of a negative for me to do anything about it until this this point yeah and I think also because I hadn't spoken to anyone about it and I think had I you know had we had social media in those days had had I been more aware of the fact that I didn't have to live that way then I possibly would have done something earlier it's amazing. I read this in a, a book recently where, I mean, you're talking about comfort zone, you kind of accepted it. And that just kind of became, I think it was written in this book that is your comfort zone, like a straitjacket. It was keeping you within and just keeping you in that way. You were playing on uh, as normal. When you talked about the, the corporate days, I had a very similar, I didn't kind of balloon in weight, but I had a similar moment where I created a really bad habit so similar to you, I was a trainer. I used to go around the country. I'd be driving all over the country. But there was a real trigger to me that uh, my brain associated that when I'm in the car, the music comes on. And then when I see a garage, I pull over and I'll go get a can of an energy drink, a packet of crisps, a chocolate bar. And as people will know, listening to this, packets of crisps in garages are not small packets. They are grab bags. Grab bags, big, yep. Overeating. <laughs> And my brain would just associate, oh, Ricky, you've had a great day today. You're going to treat yourself to that. And then that limbic part of my brain, the emotional said, yeah, go on, Ricky, let's have some fun. You know, and the rational brain wouldn't step in to say, no, Ricky, get some fruit, get something healthy, mm-hmm. have something that's nutrition, you know, and compounded, you know, over the two years or three years that I did, it, I did balloon in weight because every day it happened. Now, whilst it tasted delicious, <laughs> my lips and my tongue, in the long run, it didn't help. And um, I've got this hereditary anyway, but high blood pressure uh, from my family. Um, but you think about energy drinks, I'm driving in a car, drinking an energy drink is not great for my health and high blood pressure. And in the long run, compounded 20 years, heart disease, heart failure, silent killer stroke, that that can lead into that from having those bad habits. And that really took me back to those days. And it took me a long time to accept that this you don't, like you just said, you don't have to live like this, Ricky. You don't have to make that choice. And eventually I started to put water bottles uh, like in the car or some healthy snacks to then train my brain to not do it. And I'm so glad I did because looking back now at pictures and you can see like I was really chunky face. I mean, I've got cheeky, uh, cheeky uh, chops anyway, but I, I really I look back and I wasn't too pleased with myself thinking. But then I also thought about what was my behavior like as well? You know, like doing a, a session 
uh, for six hours and thinking, right, I'm going to go get a McDonald's for lunch or something like that. And then think about, I wonder now in hindsight, if I'd have gone back and had like a healthy substitute meal, what would have been the uh, afternoon session been like? Would it have created more engagement? Would it have created more conversation? You know, because we all had it, haven't we? When you might want to have like a lovely takeaway, it feels great. But straight after, why did I do that? Yeah. So I believe it was Jim Rohn that said that you'll go through two pains in life, the pain of discipline and the pain of regret. The people that do those diets or, um, or, or the people like me, you know, when I think about that wonderful energy drink that I had, that packet crisps and chocolate bar in the car, the discipline that I've just ruined is now led to regret. And if you think about long term, I would have become heavier, uh, overweight, unhealthy. That is the pain of regret that when I then become seriously ill with my health, I'll go, oh, why did I do that? But if I just kept with that discipline of no Ricky, no energy drink, eat something healthy and keep going. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I mean, I would just kind of like to add something to that. And I think that, Mm. you know, I would always tell people to be a little bit careful about quite extreme words like discipline and thoughts of perfection. Because the minute you start doing that, it feels restrictive. And, yeah. and yes, you're right that um, having, having a habit of eating that collective junk food lunch every day is not particularly good for your nutritional health. And a lot of this approach is about breaking those little messages, those, those habits, which the subconscious learns incredibly quickly, just with small steps so that so that you're not doing that all of the time. But the thing that I learned about this, and, 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 I, and I really try and impress on my clients, is that, is that the minute you tell yourself that you're not allowed to have something or you shouldn't have something, you're going to want it more. So occasionally, mm-hmm. you have to say to yourself, actually, gosh, I haven't had a sandwich and a packet of Doritos for ages, and I'm driving up to Birmingham. I'm going to have one and I'm going to absolutely love it. And the fact that I can have it means that I'm not going to crave it every day and and I'm not going to feel guilty about it because the guilt then drives you to all sorts of other eating behaviors, you know. So that's a little proviso on these quite tough, tough words. And, you know, I know from my experience, the more tough you are, the more likely you are to fail. this, This whole thing has to start from a position of, forgiveness and I know it's a little bit out there and a bit cliched but this self-love thing this self-respect thing that says I'm going to do this not because I'm bad if I don't but I'm going to do this because I'm worth it and because I'm going to look after myself and because I'm going to live the best life that I can for me and therefore for other people so it starts with a big a big hug around what's what's possible to actually yeah. make things make things better you know mm. so i definitely yeah <laughs> it's a great point yeah i think you're absolutely right so i guess there's a question there i'm thinking about because uh, the, the great word there discipline i'm starting to think now about people i've seen in the past advertising their their diet plans and these weight loss plans and these um aggressive uh, i don't, I don't want to say bully so i get myself in trouble but i'm sure that you've probably seen the other end of the scale, because like you said, you're talking about eating well mm. and eating in the correct way. And eating, you, probably, you know. <laughs> and eating, yeah, yeah. Diets is not get rid of everything. So those diets, uh, I'd, I'd be interested to hear your opinion on this. And 
we won't name any just so that we don't get sued or get in trouble but but those diets that you see where it could be starving yourself or fasting and things like that what's your opinion of those based on what you do in your own clinic okay well rather than specifically diet diet batch batch i will turn it around the other way and say that if you think about your body as a mechanism your body knows when it's hungry and it will tell you when it's hungry if you give your body what it needs and no more and no less, your body will find its natural weight set point. And that is what this process is all about. The minute you start depriving your body of calories, living on detox shakes and um, or drinks, and I will just add here that your liver can detox perfectly well on its own. You do not need to spend hundreds of pounds on detox programs. Little aside there. Um, <laughs> the minute you start doing that, you put your body in, in a state which goes against its natural desires. You put it in a famine state. You put it in a, in a very uncomfortable state, which means that it's going to go, oh, oh no, I haven't got enough calories. What am I going to do? I'm going to hold on to the fat that I've got. And the more you, the more you um, adopt those kinds of practices, the more the body will be less attuned to its natural science. Mm. In other words, it takes much longer for the body to find its, its natural point. Yeah. The other thing to say is that even though there are new movements, health at every size and new movements to really embrace body size and shape, which I'm all for, there is still uh, the vast majority of images that we see uh, can apply a huge amount of pressure to people to be, to be slim. And so a lot of people aspire to be a weight which is lower than the natural weight that their body wants to be. And so sometimes when I speak to people, they will say, oh, I need to lose three stone or I need to lose half a stone or whatever it might, might be. And I say, OK, that's that's interesting. So where does that where does yeah, that why? Come? Why that? number? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, because that's the weight I was when I was 18 or that's the weight I was when I was when I got married. And, you know, it's it's really important to try and work through that kind of thing with people in an empathetic way way because that's what they believe you cannot say well that's crazy say okay you know you, you then this is where the whole coaching thing comes in but in addition to accepting a natural approach to eating you have to also accept that at certain points in in our lives our body wants to be a certain weight and if you fight against it you go back into the diet mentality you've just got to let it go yeah. and accept where your body wants to be and that can take some time and all of this behavior change in fact in any in in any setting behavior change takes a bit of time because a bit like your your energy drink and your packet of crisps and your sandwich and your snickers yeah. bar whatever it might be <laughs> you know and that more, and more <laughs> and more, more yep yeah, i i know i've been there too um you know it 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 takes little little steps and it's about understanding what drives overeating mm. for people if if it's a question of weight weight gain and or it's a question of this up and down you know and there are yeah. there are lots of lots of things that drive 
overeating and you know things like emotions things like boredom um, anxiety and also things like social pressures so if you're at home with someone who eats in a certain way then that then sometimes you can feel that you that you need or have to eat in that way if you go out with friends there can be pressure to have pudding because everyone's having pudding even though you don't really really want it and of course the decision to not want it what I try and help people with is that that decision to not want pudding is not about getting fat and not about putting weight on it's about not being hungry and not needing it and also about nutritional awareness that says actually I don't really I don't really want to put that sugar in my body yeah yeah well it's it's like a trigger isn't it like my experience in the car like if I go to the cinema you're uh, I'm pre-programmed to think I, I need to get a popcorn I need to get a drink because it's there and I'm associating watching a nice com- a film in a nice comfy um, theatre that I need to have that or if it's like we're gonna have a Netflix binge right we'll go get some snacks well do we really need the snacks no yeah and like you said it's that whole behavior isn't it that it, it's kind of like training yourself isn't it and training your brain because your body is such a powerful thing that it, it can do absolutely wonders but I think there's something you mentioned there, which made me think about the the triggers and stuff and comparisonitis, social media, Instagram. I mean, as much as it's great and the filters that we see of people and giving that false economy of that's not what actually people look like uh, in real life. And I'm thinking back to myself when you said something, I wrote down a goal a couple of years ago, right, by the end of this year, I'm going to be like 15 stone. But but why? You know, why just and like you said, it might have been just that I was 25 and that was uh, 18 you know and that worked for me and also when I think about myself I'm quite a big guy and quite stocky lad you know so um, a lot of people say I should play rugby but if you used to weigh weigh myself or look at BMI it it can scare you to think that oh my god I'm I'm overweight you know but when you think about BMI of like rugby players they're they're just it's muscle but they're big and I think people can get confused can't they by the messages that they see yes and the the BMI system is is okay as a starting point for your average build person but as soon as you go outside of an average average build it's it's just it's just flawed really yeah. and i'd like to pick up on something that you said just now in terms of your 15 stone target i think that the important thing to to really find a comfortable relationship with food with our weight with ourselves is to forget about numerical goals altogether 100% and to have behavioral goals um i was talking to a fellow professional the other day who gave me a quote she wasn't sure where it came from but it's now going to be spread everywhere because it's just so <laughs> brilliant so if this quote came from someone who's listening thank you and i'm sorry i don't <laughs> know who you are but the quote is food is a science eating is a behavior mm. which i think is great so and if you understand the science of the food and you change the behavior then you've got all that nutritional awareness underpinning how you behave around food but the minute you drop those numbers you Mm. can lose the obsession with the scales you can lose the obsession with tracking and counting and and that's something that I I think is it's just so important to just try and let go you know to 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 unlock people from this feeling that they cannot eat something that's in front of them because they don't know how to count it yeah 
you know, that's actually quite paralyzing. Yeah. And and so, yeah, so it's all about people can't see me, but I'm kind of waving my arms around. It's all about, (laughs) you know, just, okay, let's go back to the basics of my natural relationship with how I eat. And also, you know, we're living through quite a difficult time at the moment and lockdown is affecting people's motivation and their mindset and everything. And, and if you can get in tune with the emotions that drive an unhealthy eating behavior, then you can cope in any scenario because you understand all those thoughts and those emotions that are going on and you learn ways to to deal with them and then that means that you you take this new eating behavior with you wherever you are wherever you whoever you're with whatever you're feeling you you develop the tools to be able to say actually I'm going to eat this for this reason and I'm absolutely fine with it and yeah that's it you know totally because it has been really really hard for people I'm sure during lockdown yeah I remember lockdown one, people were like, oh, we're going to get lockdown bods, you know, and and yeah. as that's continued to lockdown two and three, there's a couple of things that's, um, so interestingly, I'm loving this conversation, Laura, because all the questions yes. that I pre-wrote down, I've now like wrote down hundreds more now because of this. <laughs> but something you reminded me of really well is uh, I'm a big fan of Joe Wicks. I've done a couple of things before and very similar to you, he doesn't talk about the word diet. It's not about diet. It's just about eating well, uh, eating good portions with the right foods, the right healthy fats and all that. And he calls the scales the sad step and get rid of it so that you're not, you know, like you might have a fantastic day working out, feeling really really good at a lovely, delicious, nutritious meal. And then you look at the scale and you've lost nothing. And then that, you know, gets rid of people's motivation just is destroyed. So they go, I'm going to quit this, you know, and quit and go. And that behavior is like, absolutely. Yeah. So he says, get rid of it, get rid of it. And we did it a couple of years ago. Uh, because we just wanted to you know kind of do it it was when he kind of first come out and it was like a 90-day plan and it was basically just I mean I was surprised at the portions that I was eating it was quite big portions for me but it was filled with all of the right nutritious stuff that my body needed now at the end of the first month we'd lost like a really nice amount of pounds and stuff so yeah. he only got you to weigh yourself at the end of that rather than every day or every week but one thing that we loved was that we may not have lost like what we aspired to when we were thinking about numbers, but when we then looked at inches of, of our body and also how we felt, like yeah. I mean, after the first week, I felt great. You know, I was drinking four liters of water a day because my body needed it for that plan. But I just felt absolutely amazing. My skin felt better. My complexion looked better. I looked in the mirror and felt like my self-esteem was great. I felt comfortable. Yeah. My belt was loose. I was like, this is brilliant. And I may have only lost a couple of pounds, but the way it made me feel was absolutely yes, amazing. You know? Absolutely, because you're doing that regular exercise. But also, this is the thing about good food. You know, the better the fuel, the better yeah. the machine works. And yeah. in fact, in fact, I have a blog article coming out very shortly, which talks about the fact that you can start to feel differences if you improve your nutrition within a week. Yes. And and. Nutrition underpins everything. If your gut health is good, your mental health is improved, your immune system works better. And having 
a healthy gut is not that difficult. You add more fiber to your diet. You add more fermented foods. You eat, you eat live yogurt every other day. You have more vegetables. You know, it's not, it's not hard and the benefits are just massive. But of course, what we are slightly struggling against, and I think this has been, this has really come to the forefront of my mind during all these lockdowns is that a lot of people don't know how to cook they've never been taught they've never really needed needed to and I think quite a few people during lockdown have actually decided to get out you know Delia's how to cook books which are fabulous (laughs) and just start to start start to learn how to create things with with food and batch stuff as well so pre-plan ahead that's yeah. something i learned because it's the convenience isn't it of i could order a takeaway it could be here in minutes or do i want to spend 20 minutes cooking a healthy delicious meal exactly yeah. exactly and you know how many times do you watch the just eat advert <sighs> yeah. you know yeah i don't watch that much tv and i must see two a day i mean they yeah. are you know they're a business of course they are but yeah. the problem is that if people don't know how to cook, there are too yeah. many easy options. And yeah. I think if you buy a takeaway, there's something about feeling that you should eat all of it. You know, you buy a humongous pizza and God, <laughs> yeah. I love pizza and I yeah. now eat pizza. Hurrah, you know, hey. <laughs> used to be yeah. one of those foods that terrified me. Yeah. But I think there's something about ordering a takeaway that means that you just eat the whole thing. Whereas perhaps if you cooked yeah. your own meal, you might eat it more slowly. You po- probably wouldn't eat it in front of the telly, yeah. you know, and all these sort of mindful practices that mean that you only eat what you need and you put the rest in the fridge and you have it for lunch tomorrow. Yes. You know, and so so in my in my recipes that I put on my website, I try and make the cooking really quite easy. It's not expensive. It's really quite, you know, simple because then you can you can put in your extra veg and you can you can start building this nutritional health, which I mean, I cannot impress strongly enough has a massive benefit. Yeah. You know, you're how you feel your skin your mental health your hair I mean yes if you've got weight to lose and you have a mindful eating approach you will lose it eventually but let's put that to one side and let's focus on on the health side of it yeah 100% wow there's there's one more thing Laura I think I could probably we could carry on for hours on this um I'm I'm a bit chatty I'm sorry no no it's great (laughs) this is absolutely fantastic one of the things I'm thinking about is when you think of the way society is in supermarkets lunch breaks quickly nip out the office to go get something from the supermarket in a pre-covid world everything that is unhealthy sandwiches crisps and chocolate is right on the door you walk in, it's convenient it's quick Mm, and mm. it's expensive a bottle of living water or I want to say that a a bottle of water, let's say 500 mil could be like 80p, something, let's say like that. But if you took the time to walk to the other side of the supermarket, you could get two liters for a pound. Mm. But because convenience is there, they put all of the, I mean, you don't walk into a supermarket and they've got all of the healthy food there. It's all sandwiches, crisps and sugar and all the high salt content, isn't it? Yeah. But it's amazing to see the price difference as well. It's more cheaper, I think, for me to buy like a Galaxy bar then to probably buy a bag of salad or something like that. And mm. that can influence society, I think, to make poor decisions, I think. Yeah. You know? Okay. Well, I think there are a few things here. Firstly, there's nothing inherently unhealthy about a sandwich. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's 
process somewhere else. But if you're hungry, you absolutely have to eat. And if it's a sandwich that's got that's brown bread and it's got protein in it, just eat it. It's fine. Absolutely fine. But what I would advocate is is an approach that looks at the whole day or the whole week and says, yeah, I'm maybe going to have a sandwich once or twice a week because tuna mayonnaise sandwich I just love it and that's important you know but on the other days I'm going to try and mix it up and where I've got an evening when I'm at home I'm going to actually think about what I'm going to take to work I'm going to take a lunch box and it's got some salad in and it's got some grains and it's got hard-boiled egg and I'm just going to try and mix it up so that 80% of the time I think 80-20 is quite a good ratio if if you can manage it that 20% being really important in that if you go to a birthday party and what is on offer is sausage rolls and great beige buffets slabs (laughs) of cake beige buffet but you're hungry and everyone else is eating that you join in and you eat what's there and it's fine it's absolutely fine so you know I think it comes down to planning it comes down to awareness but I think that the thinking ahead thing, this mindful thing about saying, right, what can I have in my desk drawer when I get a bit peckish or I'm procrastinating about doing that piece of work or I'm a bit nervous about the Zoom call with my boss? What am I going to nibble on that's actually going to help me? You know, because food is a great distraction. Yeah. And instead of having a packet of chocolate hobnobs, which is my husband's favorite, <laughs> I'm actually going to have a bag of Brazil nuts and I'm going to have an apple. And I'm going to make sure yeah. that my desk has always got those two things in. You know, and it's just a question of planning and thinking about it if the incentive is there. And that's what I really try and focus on, this positive incentive of feeling better. So the benefit, benefit, benefit. I know for some people, consequences work well. It's like you were saying earlier, I knew that if I carried on down this fizzy drink sandwich chocolate bar route every day, I was, you know, heading for ill health. And for some people that consequence works. But I like to try and take away the fear and say, actually, let's focus on what we say in NLP terms, towards motivation. Mm. So not away from, towards motivation. And the good thing about towards motivation and a behavioral target is that there's never any end. Whereas if you have a numerical target and you say in your case, you get to 15 stone. Yeah, yeah. What happens then? What are you going to do then? (laughs) You know, unless you've actually learned to eat differently and you've adopted a different behavior around food yeah people don't quite know what to do when they reach that numerical target and of course that's why the diet industry is worth billions and billions of pounds yeah because it works for a while i mean it works for 80 for for 20 percent of people it works forever Mm -hmm. but for at least 80 percent of people it doesn't work and it's because it yeah it doesn't get to the bottom of the behaviors. The core root of it, yeah. And of course, if you're on the same plan as everyone else, it's not going to be bespoke to you. And your own, yeah. you know, issues are unique, aren't they? You know, so, yeah. This brings a really nice segue into what you do, because I've kind of understood in a way that the way that you tackle uh, eating is is in a, in a I'd say the right way. <laughs> You know, you're Thank thinking you. about the choices and the behaviors rather than just the, you know, the fear and stuff like you were saying. So let's talk about what can the Mindful Eating Clinic do? Right. Well, it has a number of 
services. So I've talked a lot about my coaching approach. So most of my work is in a one-to-one -one coaching scenario. And for some people, that means they just have what I call my power hour with me. I always have a 20-minute chat with people. Sometimes it goes on a bit longer, actually. <laughs> but I always have a free chat with people because it's so important that I understand as much as I can about where they are and about where they want to get to. And then I will then do some work to put together some ideas and some tools and some approaches that I think will will tangibly help that person. So they may only need an hour on the phone with me and then they go away and they do their own thing and then perhaps they come back to me another time or they text me. For some people, I have longer coaching programs which helps them feel more accountable. Some people want, want to have their hand held and they want to feel that they're connected and they're supported more consistently. For people that like a DIY approach, I've got a couple of online courses, which you can just do and work through in your in your own time. And I'm quite excited to be working on a couple of, of ebooks, which are all about um, easy meals to put together. So breakfast and balanced meals. And so I'm working on those at the moment. And if anybody wants to be notified when they're ready, then they can have a look on the website yeah we'll put a link in uh, in the show oh notes, that's kind way. that's yeah. that's that's really kind thank you but but you know even if you don't work with me what I want to say to people is to just find a natural non-diet approach and just find your own you know happy life with food because food freedom is absolutely possible and of course if anybody wants to talk to me about it then I am always always here I love that. And, and you also have a free guide, which was six eating tips for a healthier life on your website. That I think people. Can oh, yes. Well. I, oh, yes, I do. Thank you so much for, for <laughs> allowing me to do that little plug. Yes. So at the moment, my free download is six eat tips for a healthier life. So six things that you can put into practice. And as part of that download, there's also a habit tracker. Brilliant where you can just tick off when you've when you've implemented the changes so you can just start to monitor and create some awareness until you just do them quite naturally which is what which is what we're trying to aim for yeah so if Brilliant. you go onto the website if you're new to my website um there there might be a pop-up i think the pop-up's working at the moment i'm not quite sure but if there isn't across the header it says get my six tips download Brilliant. And we'll also put a link for anybody listening to this that you can find that in the show notes as well. Thank you, Laurie. So I guess before we wrap up, just a, a few final questions from me that I ask every single guest. And I think one of the questions that I'm trying to unravel and unlock this year is the idea of creating experiences that are wonderful, but also about being more human this year. So what would you say to people listening to this? I guess we could link this, I guess, to the mindful eating. What can we do to make sure that we have great experiences we're still being a human being and creating this wonderful experience for other people but in line with thinking about behavior for eating okay well i think i think there are two things here i mean i if we leave the eating aside i think one of the big things that that not connecting with people has potentially damaged is our ability to listen mm. and i think that Generally, in society, we struggle with listening anyway. But I think that lockdown has quite naturally made us quite introspective and in our own bubbles. And so I think the minute that we can connect, 
I think it would be really good for us to really try to say less and listen, listen more. So to really hear how someone's experience has been and to really hear how pe how it's how it's changed them because I think we can learn a lot from how other people have experienced what's been going on um, and I think if it's taught us nothing else it's actually taught taught many of us how important that need to connect is and I think moving forward to try and make all of our connections both in a business and in a personal sense as meaningful as we possibly can and to think about giving because there is nothing more magical than than genuine altruism and and genuinely helping somebody in whatever capacity being generous with your words being generous with your actions that because that is the most magical thing for an individual to be able to do that's amazing what a great answer thank you very much laurie well, I guess then for everybody, if they want to find out more about what you do, how can they find you? You also have a podcast as well and a YouTube channel. So what can I people do. do to find out more about you? Oh, thank you. Yes. Well, all of the links are on my website. So if they go to themindfuleatingclinic.com, all the social media links are on there and the links to what I do. My story is on there. But yes, I'm on YouTube and I've got my own um, relatively new podcast uh, channel. Yes. So it would just be lovely for people to engage and I just hope that my words you know help help you and anyone that you know who is listening just find a happy life with food that's the essence of it absolutely and what is the podcast called Lauren the podcast is just called the mindful eating clinic fantastic brilliant well Laurie you've been an absolute star thank you so much for coming on it's been a really fascinating chat and I think this is going to provide a lot of value to people so thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure you're very welcome. Thank you for giving me the chance to join you. Thank you. Thanks, Laurie, for coming on to the podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to listen to your story. I'll definitely be thinking about some choices now with my own food. Now, thanks for listening to this podcast. If you did enjoy it, don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review on Apple Podcasts so it gets shared with more people. Once again, thanks for listening, and I'll join you next week for another episode of Unlocked. Bye-bye.